the sin and guilt of his people under the wrath of God. We'll gather here on Good Friday evening for that special service, and, and, and we'll spend time in the Word. We'll spend time singing the praises of the one who gave himself for us. And then next Sunday is Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday morning, we remember the resurrection of Christ, the day when God declared the debt paid in full by Christ walking out of the tomb. And we'll gather early Sunday morning as is appropriate because he rose early that Sunday morning and we will spend time in the word and singing praises. And I don't know about you, friends, but it, after the news of the past week, I am so glad Easter's coming. Um, after this last week, I mean, we need Easter. When we hear of children and, and teachers murdered at a Christian school in Nashville, we find ourselves in need of Easter. Uh, hear of a protest gone bad in a Mexican immigration center that results in 39 people burned to death. We need Easter. Friends, I, I, or maybe it's just your own week. As you look at your own week, you say, boy, I need Easter. Well, this is the Lord's Day, even though Easter's not till next Sunday. Um, and so it's a good to gather on the Lord's Day because the darkness is too much to bear on our own. And that's why, again, we are going to look at the hope we have in Christ because in Christ we can sing, Hallelujah, our hope springs eternal, no matter what the week held. Jesus is our hope. We've already seen in Mark 10, 45 that Jesus is our only hope for ransom, our only hope to be purchased out of the slavery to sin that we live in. We've seen in John 3 that Jesus is our only hope for rebirth, that we could be born again to a new life that is fit for the kingdom of God. And we've seen in Romans 3 that Jesus is our only hope to be justified, to be declared righteous, even though all we do is bring our sin to the throne of God. So hopefully as we looked at each of those ways and saw that Jesus is our only hope, you've seen that they overlap, right? Ransom, rebirth, justification, they go together and they meet together in the cross and the empty tomb. You'll never meet someone who has one of those and doesn't have the other. And alongside them, alongside ransom, rebirth, and justification this morning, we're going to add one more, reconciliation. And we'll do that by looking into Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and we're going to really focus in on verses 10 and 11. But I'll ask if, if you're able, you'd stand once more in honor of God's word as I read from Romans chapter 5, and I'll start at verse 6. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, writes, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. 
More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking through Paul to that church in Rome and then preserving it for us as a message for us this morning. Help us as we look at this word. Help us to hear from you. And God, may the Spirit who inspired this work give us understanding and write this word on our hearts that we truly might understand what it means to be reconciled to our God and respond accordingly. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, there's a, there's a whole lot to look at in Romans 5, 6 through 11. But this morning, we're really going to focus on one thing in particular and look at it as it shows up in verses 10 and 11. This morning, we're going to see that Jesus is our only hope, our hope of reconciliation. Our hope for reconciliation to God as we look at verses 10 and 11. To help us get a, a clear picture of that, what I want us to do is ask and answer four questions this morning. So we're going to ask and answer four questions with all the answers coming from this passage in Romans. And the first question we want to ask this morning is this. Who needs reconciliation to whom? Who needs reconciliation to whom? Or who needs reconciled to whom? Sometimes grammar fails me. Look at verse 10, though. Look right there at verse 10. He says it. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. It's easy today to look at other people and look around and go, those people are my enemies. I'm one of the good guys. They're the bad guys. I mean, it's easy, right? Because bad is really bad out there right now. Say, I'm a good guy, they're the bad guy. Obviously, that's where the line's drawn. We might even decide, hey, I'm on God's side, and they're against God. But we need to take care to remember something when we do that, that even if we are in the place now where we can say, I am a friend of God, and I can discern the enemies of God, we weren't always there. That we first came to God as his enemies. According to verse 10, we were God's enemies. Even if now we are reconciled, we were God's enemies. Our, our sin and righteousness resume includes some things that, that, that we might not want to include. We all were, every man, woman, boy, and girl, born as an enemy of God. You know, as we, we look at our nation, we might... We might bemoan the division and the discord because we are as divided and angry a people as we have ever been, I think. But the fact is, whether the division in our culture reflects the right division or not, there has always been a division amongst men. There are reconciled rebels and there are those who remain in rebellion. Everybody starts as a rebel. And so everybody is either still a rebel against God are there reconciled rebels? So the kingdom of light exists and the kingdom of darkness exists. Those who are in Christ and those who are of the world exist. Friends of God and the enemies of God exist. But everybody started out in the wrong camp. 
The answer to the question, who needs reconciliation to whom? All of mankind needs to be reconciled to God. Needs to become a friend of God instead of an enemy. It's good to be on the right side of the line. We just have to remember we weren't, we weren't born there. Paul's very clear as he writes to the, the Roman Christians, we were enemies of God. And it's, it's good to remember, God is not the one who needs reconciled. It's not like God needs to be reconciled to us, because God doesn't need us. God could be the victor over the rebels who does nothing but punish the rebels, and God would be exalted and praised for all eternity for what he did, and he wouldn't be missing us. Because he is complete in and of himself, that is of the doctrine of God. He needs nothing or no one. Contrary to the song, heaven has always been just fine without us. We see this picture painted in the Old Testament in a way that I think really helps. If you've read the book of 2 Kings recently, if not, I'll tell you, but if you've read it, you notice something. It, the last few kings in the kingdom of Judah are a mess. These guys are weak, and their enemies are strong. Right? These last few kings of Judah, they're nothing, and their enemies, the Assyrians and Babylonians, are really strong. The, the Assyrians and Babylonians... They don't need to reconcile with Judah. They're not saying, boy, we hope Judah will join our side. All the Assyrians and Babylonians need to do is march in and take Judah. That's all they need to do. They can gain peace through victory. The kings of Judah, however, are weak. And they've got a choice to make, don't they? They could reconcile with God and trust God to give them victory over their enemies because that's what God said he would do. Or they could tax the people, sell off the treasury of the temple, and try to reconcile with their enemies, the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Now, you know which they chose. They chose the latter. They reconciled with the world instead of reconciling with God. But the point I want you to see is this. They had to reconcile. They had a choice. They were either going to say, we will give up everything and be slaves to this world, or I will reconcile with my God and trust my God. And that's the picture we have here. We're like those kings. We don't have a choice. We've got to reconcile with someone. The world outside you is more powerful than you. And it will swallow you up. It will drag you into its dirt, its mud, and its mire, and, and, and it will let you join the sin parade that marches all the way to hell. And you got a choice. You could just sell all you have and join the world, or you could be reconciled with God. But the point is, you need to be reconciled. And your really only hope for anything good is to be reconciled with God. So who needs reconciliation to whom? Every man, woman, boy, and girl needs to be reconciled to God. The right answer is pretty clear. So man needs to be reconciled with God. So Now, the question then, the next question, how is that accomplished? How does reconciliation happen? Well, still in verse 10, he tells us, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. It's by the death of Jesus that we are reconciled. We are enemies of God, become friends of God, 
through the death of the Son. Now, if you spent your life in church, you're not surprised by this. If you paid attention during the Lord's Supper, you're not surprised at this. Any church worth its salt makes much of the death of Christ as your only hope to be right with God. Even so, I wonder if we don't talk about it so much that we lose the majesty and awe of this. Think about this. Born as enemies of God, living as enemies of God, desperate to be reconciled to God, no way to make that happen, no way to make God look at us with friendly eyes, but God steps in and declares that he loves us and sacrifices his son, and that makes it all right. How does that work? How does the one who doesn't need us, having his son die for us, reconcile us to him? In my very simple way of thinking, I would think that would make him mad at me more. Right? If it cost his son for me to be right with him? Well, there can only really be one way. Somehow the death of his son removes the barrier that keeps us from being right with God. There is something between us and God that makes us always enemies of God in the eyes of God. And somehow the death of his son removes that, the barrier between us and God. And we know what that barrier is. It's our sin and rebellion. So somehow the death of the son has to take away this barrier of sin and rebellion that we put between us and God to result in reconciliation. And that is exactly what happened. Right? If this verse is not in your pile of memory verses, put it there. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he, God, made him Christ to be sin who knew no sin. For our sake he made him to be no, to, who knew no sin. Oh, I was getting it backwards. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. That happens when you memorize in more than one translation. There's an exchange, a great exchange that happens, right? So this death of the son, he takes on that whole barrier. He says, I'm going, to, I'm going to carry the load of everything that separates my people from my father. Of everything, all that sin and guilt, I'm going to carry that and I will deal with that. I'm going to take that and deal with that. And we know it does it in his death. And what they need to do is just to receive my righteousness. I'll give them my righteousness. I'll take care of the barrier, and I'll give them my righteousness. And it happens at the cross. And that's what Paul says, at the cross. That's why Peter, when Peter writes about this in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 24, he speaks of the cross as a tree. And he says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin, and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. I mean, do you see what he says? He says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. It, 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 it is hard to get your mind around this. But somehow God made Christ 
our sin. I mean, when he looked at Christ, Christ carried our sins so closely that he could say he bore our sins in his body. And as the father looked at the son there on the cross, what he saw was guilt. And he poured out his wrath on that guilt as the son died on the cross. He bore our sins in his body on the tree so that they're bore. He's carried them. They're, they're gone. The, the wall is tore down and we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He opened the door so that we don't own sin anymore. We can live in righteousness. Reconciliation is accomplished through the remarkable death of the son. The father gave his son because the son is the only one who could carry that load. And I think you may hear poets or, or songwriters say he could have done it another way. No! No! There was no other way that God could remain just except to pour out his wrath on sin. And there's only one who could carry the sins of the other. That was the perfect, righteous son of man. There was no other way this could happen. And he did it. The son bore that barrier of sin and took it away so that we might be alive to righteousness. Friends, Good Friday matters. It matters in so many ways. When you pray, when you are sick or you are diseased and you pray for God to heal you, you are depending on the fact that you are reconciled to God by what happened on the cross for him to hear that prayer for healing. If the cross doesn't happen, your prayer to be healed isn't heard. When you come to church and you worship on Sunday, you come before the throne of God with fellow believers, you are depending on the fact that what Jesus did on the cross made you, reconciled you with God the Father so that you can have access to the throne. Worship doesn't happen if there is no cross. When you catch yourself once more in sin, after you become a Christian, and, and, and you thought you were done with that sin, and, and you cry out to God for mercy and forgiveness, the only reason God hears your cry as the cry of a friend is because Jesus died on that cross. Your entire relationship with the Almighty God is a relationship with God because Jesus tore down that barrier by putting it on his back and carrying it to the cross. Good Friday matters. Man needs to be reconciled to God, and the Son reconciles man to God through his death. Now, what follows? What naturally follows reconciliation? What naturally follows reconciliation? Well, Paul tells us, If while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more... Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Paul says that just as the cross was where Jesus tore down that barrier and reconciled us with God, the empty tomb, his life, is the place of our salvation. Reconciliation with God sets the stage for rescue. Reconciliation leads to rescue. The barrier is removed, but the empty tomb is where the evidence is clear that the barrier was removed for us all. 
that the whole barrier was removed. Jesus stepped out of that tomb alive. His life revealed that the wages of sin were paid in full. The death of Christ reveals that man can be reconciled to God. The life of Christ reveals that we can be saved from the wrath of God because Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. What naturally flows from reconciliation is salvation. Those who are reconciled to God have been rescued from the wrath of God. You know, I've, a, I've got a little bit of a fascination with great naval battles, great warships going at it on the sea. And I don't want to glamorize war, but there's just something about the magnitude of what happens when warship goes up against warship on the sea. It's, it's amazing and it's terrifying. And in those battles, something always happens. Sailors end up in the sea. Right? I mean, somebody loses. And, and sailors end up in the water, and they're afraid for their life. And I can only imagine the fear of being on your ship in the middle of the sea and losing a battle, and there you are watching your ship sink, and you're there in the sea. If they're fortunate, what happens is a rescue ship comes by, right? Another ship comes by to rescue them. But even as they see that ship on the horizon coming to rescue them, they still can't be sure this is salvation, right? Because you don't know. Is it our ship or is it an enemy ship? Uh, you can't tell. If it's from our, our Navy, well, then I'm really saved. I'm really rescued from the sea and I get, I, I get to go home and, and, and everything is going to be okay. But if it's the enemy ship, I may not drown, but I'm going to end up in some prisoner of war camp or, or, or something like that. The, the only way then, if, if I'm in the sea and an enemy ship comes around, the only way I can be really saved, really rescued, is if the two nations reconcile. My enemy has to become my friend. That's the only way I get sent home and really, really saved, really rescued is if enemies become friends. And that's the picture that Paul is painting here. He's saying, look, it's only when you as the enemy of God are reconciled to God and you become friends that God rescues you. That's the only way you can know you're really saved is if the God who comes to you in your sin has been made your friend. Even though you were his enemy, he's been made your friend and now you will be rescued. Because there is a great war going on in each of us. It, it, it's the war that we brought on with our sin. The war we declared against God by our rebellion and our sin. And if we want to be rescued, as, as, and we will lose that war, by the way. We are never on the winning side when we sin and rebel against God. We will lose that war. And the only way we are rescued is if the God who we have made our enemy is turned into our friend. And we know that happens because Jesus is alive. Because Jesus is alive and he has paid the price in full for all the sins of his people. Jesus paid it all. 
So man needs to be reconciled to God. The son reconciles God to man through his death, and therefore man is saved from the wrath of God, which leads to our fourth question. How must we respond to reconciliation? If this is all true, what do we do? What do we do? Verse 11 has the answer. He said, after he says, now that we're reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. More than that, Paul is saying this just escalates. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Reconciliation through the death of Jesus, salvation through the life of Jesus, and we rejoice in God through Christ. That is how we respond to reconciliation. We rejoice in God through Christ. Some translations say we, we boast in God through Christ. And I, I think you need to put those together. I don't think it's an either or. Rejoice or boast, the point is the same, and it really works together if you consider them both. We rejoice that we're reconciled and saved. We boast about the God who reconciled and saved us. We rejoice that he did it, and we make much of him because he did it. Right? So I think we do good to take both meetings. Rejoice in our reconciliation with God through Christ because the death of the Son made it happen and we give all the glory to God as we're rejoicing because the death of the Son made it happen. We rejoice in God and what He has done and we give Him glory. We boast in Him. And there's a word that describes both of those. When you put together rejoicing and boasting in God, it's called worship. We worship is what we do. How must we respond to our reconciliation? We must respond with joyful worship. Paul's point is clear. True Christians who have been reconciled and saved through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus are joyful worshipers. Now let's be really, really clear here. There is no room in this sentence for any qualifiers. Not sometimes joyful worshipers. Not joyful, but proud people. But always and forever, humble worshipers before the throne of God who are rejoicing in what God has done for them. Always. Now this is a Sunday go to church thing. You should have come here with joy in your hearts because of what Jesus did for you. And that should affect what you do in this room. I mean, it's got to. It just has to. The, the most amazing cosmic thing has happened in your life. I always like what R.C. Sproul describes what, what our sin is. It is cosmic rebellion. We have thumbed our noses at the God of the universe. And then, remarkable thing, he loved us. He sent his son to rescue us and to save us. And the son came and he did it. And now he's alive. Folks, you are part of the biggest thing that will ever happen in the created order. God so loved you that he did the most amazing thing so that you would be saved. And we rejoice in God through Christ. The only way we can really rejoice in God is through Christ because he's the one who made it happen. So, so let me ask you then, if we remember that Jesus bore our sin debt and paid it all, how do we rejoice? 
How do we rejoice? What's that include? Well, Philippians 4.4 4 nails it, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Always. Always. But I want to give you a few of the detailed alwayses that Paul writes in his letter. In Romans 5, Paul talks about rejoicing in suffering for the gospel and suffering for the church. In Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 and 2 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about rejoicing with brothers and sisters when they rejoice or receive honor. So we, we rejoice always. We rejoice in suffering. We rejoice when other people that we love as brothers and sisters in Christ are blessed. Then in, in, in 1 Corinthians 16 and Philippians 2, Paul talks about rejoicing in the fellowship of the saints. We just rejoice that we can be together with other people that have been reconciled and rescued. Then in, in 2 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about rejoicing when sinners are brought low by sorrow for their sin and respond in repentance. Every time someone comes to Jesus, we rejoice. 2 Corinthians 7 and, and Colossians 2, Paul talks about rejoicing when we see brothers and sisters stand firm in Christ. Every time one of your brothers and sisters actually speaks of Jesus when it's uncomfortable, you rejoice. You rejoice. He talks about in Philippians 1, rejoicing when the gospel is proclaimed, whether the motives are good and bad. Every time you hear someone proclaim that Jesus saves, you rejoice. Philippians 2 and Colossians 1, he talks about rejoicing when our testimony of suffering leads to the sanctification of others. When God brings suffering in my life so that you'll follow Jesus closer, I rejoice. Friends, it sounds to me like there's no excuse for the failure to worship God with joyful rejoicing. Is there? I mean, I just don't see what Paul covers here. And if you wonder what suffering looks like, look at Paul. Right? He gives us a list, that whole shipwreck, lashes, the whole thing. Right? Because of our reconciliation and salvation, we worship with joy. We rejoice. And friends, I think rejoicing looks like rejoicing. If you're saying it's I'm rejoicing on the inside where it counts, I think you're rejoicing so small that it's not reaching the outside, and that's not the kind of rejoicing Paul's talking about. He's talking about rejoicing that leads to worship. Remember the word, other translation is boast in God. That's a mouth open saying something, right? Rejoicing. Our, our rejoicing needs to show. So Jesus is our only source of hope. And that is clear in Romans 5 where we see that man needs to be reconciled with God. Praise God, the Son reconciles man to God through his death. Thereby man is saved from the wrath of God and every reconciled saint becomes a worshiping, rejoicing follower of Jesus. Well, let me just kind of wrap this up with a couple of appeals to you this morning. The first one comes directly from the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul says, We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. If you're here this morning and you do not know that your sins were paid for by Christ on that cross. If you have never trusted that he did that for you, 
Let today be the day. I mean, think about, think about this situation. If you are an enemy of God because you have sinned and rebelled against the Almighty God, which sin and rebellion, maybe you think that sounds so big. Well, I haven't really been a rebel against God. Well, James makes it very clear. If you have violated any of God's commands, you are a rebellious sinner against the Almighty God. You violate one, you violated them all. You've been a rebel. So every man, woman, boy, and girl, a rebel against God. So if that's you this morning, if, if you are in that place of sin and rebellion, I, I want to do something that's a little, you might feel unkind this morning. I want to make it clear to you that without Christ, you are hopeless. And you face eternal hopelessness and suffering without Christ. And so I, I, I don't want to leave you there. I want to beg of you, be reconciled to God. Trust in Jesus. Believe in what he did on the cross. Believe he did that for you. Believe that your sins were paid for in full as evidenced by the fact he walked out of the grave. Trust in him and follow him today, please. I, I mean, you may have gone to church your whole life, but if you haven't dealt with this, you haven't dealt with what matters. Be reconciled to God. And my second appeal is, is to those who have been reconciled. If you have been reconciled, I, I do want to call you back to Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I get it. I get it. It is hard to deal with life in a fallen world. There is so much ugliness in the world that is there because of sin. Whether it is the, the evidence of sinful deeds like, like, like we saw in the news this week, or it's just the evidence of fallenness as, 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 as we see that things just don't always work the way they're supposed to and it brings sorrow and, and pain into our lives just because this world is fallen. It's hard. But Jesus saves Jesus paid it all. And so whatever you're taking in that is so hard to deal with, that's keeping you from being a person who rejoices, it may be big, but what Jesus did for you is bigger. The good that has been brought to you by the love of God sending his son and saving you from your sin and making you a friend of God is bigger than, and you can put whatever you want there. It's bigger. The, the source of your joy is ultimately bigger than the source of any sorrow you will run into. The joy of Christ is that big. So, so, so brothers and sisters... Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And you say, well, it's so hard because I hear all this other stuff. Well, honestly, quit listening. Spend more time here than you do on your, on, on your news sites and, your, and watching the news. I mean, granted, you want to keep up with the events of the world. Okay, touch it now and then. But spend time here. Because this reveals Christ. 
And there is joy in the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord always. If you can't find joy, if you find worship hard, then there's probably one thing getting in the way. It's that, that, that Christ has paid the price, paid it all for you, but you're still letting sin get in there and letting it bring guilt, letting it bring the barrier back. It's, it's kind of like Christ tore down the wall and you're trying to build it again. Well, that's not going to be very joyful work if Christ tore down that barrier and you're trying to build it again. So repent. Repent. Go to the cross again. He stands ready to receive and forgive you again. If sin is keeping joy out of your life, repent. Because the cross is still the cross. And Jesus still paid it all. So let's rejoice in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Lord, it is... It is sometimes hard for us to see just what a glorious truth it is that we have been reconciled to you. Hard to imagine that one is as, as mighty and righteous and just and holy and good as you could truly be our friend. But God, you have said it is so. You made it so in Christ, and you have said that for all who believe, we are reconciled. So God, I, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ this morning. I, I pray that, the Lord, they would believe it, that they would feel it, that they would know it, and that they would know the joy that comes from it. Please, Lord. And Lord, I, I do pray for the one who has never experienced that reconciliation. God, I pray that your spirit would, would show them their sin and their desperate need of a Savior. And I pray that they would turn to the cross, place their faith in Jesus today, and be saved. And Lord, I... I just look forward to rejoicing as they are. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So Tom's going to come lead us in our closing hymn. And as he does, I would just encourage you to deal with the Word of God today. Uh, maybe it's something I said about the Word of God, or maybe just as you're reading those verses, the Word of God itself was at work in you. But whatever the case is, let the, God, the Word of God have its way in you this morning and respond to it in whatever way the Spirit is leading. Now, maybe you need to respond publicly. There are things that we need to do in front of other people. And one of those things is confess that we are sinners and that Jesus has saved us. The Bible says we should profess that with our mouth. So if the Lord today has worked in your heart and you have trusted in him as your Savior for the first time, as we sing, I'm going to ask that you come forward so you can share that with us. I already told you what we're going to do. We're going to rejoice with you if you do that. Right?
And, and Christian, maybe today the, the burden for you feels too great for you to find joy. And all of this just feels just hard. Well, God put you in the body of Christ so that we could go before the throne of our Father for you and plead for you that you would know this joy. And so if you need that this morning, if you need us to pray for you, I'm going to ask that you come forward. We will start Sunday school a little late to pray for you if you need prayer this morning. But whatever you do, please deal with the word of God this morning. Please stand.